In today's podcast, I interview Anthony Trucks. And to be honest, Anthony's not the kind of guy that I would have probably been friends with in high school. He's very athletic, a football jock, and a former foster kid. And not that any of those things were disqualifying for my friend list, but chances of our paths crossing at a young age would have been quite unlikely. But that's one of the cool things about maturity and growing up and developing a curiosity about people who took another path in life, whether by choice or by circumstance. What's even more intriguing to me is that even though we came from a very different background, our human experience has a lot of similarities. I can relate to the struggles that he talks about. I understand the challenges and the approach that he's taken to overcome those struggles. I can relate to being different and how that has made an impact on his career. No matter how much or how little you may relate to the specifics of his background, I think you too will learn from his perspectives as we talk about issues that range from identity to business to race. Anthony is an American Ninja Warrior, a coach, a speaker, and an author, and today he's our teacher. To begin our conversation, I ask about his first memory as a child, a story I've heard him tell from stage, and he shares that story as we begin the interview. My first memory was uh, me sitting in front of my, I guess, apartment at the time, and then hearing my mom call my name from the back. And so I got up you know, from playing toys, playing with toys at about three years old, and I, I vividly remember the entire layout of the house and everything. And I walked to the back of the house and I go out of the back and my mom's standing there, you know, she's crying. She's this white shirt on. She's um, standing next to a strange woman I do not know. And then I walk over to her and she kind of grabs me my hand and she kisses my forehead and hands my hand to this strange lady who then walks me off to this black crown Victoria car, puts me in, buckles me in. And there's my three siblings in the back seat and we don't know what's going on. And then this lady just, you know, starts the car and drives us off me an entrance into a world that was crazy, uh, which was the world of foster care. My mom had given me and my three siblings away. And at six years old, I got put into the house, which is my family now to this day. Uh, the unique thing is that I'm a black man in an all white family. <laughs> we grew up really poor also. So I make this really dumb joke that I grew up poor white trash. It's just, <laughs> just go with it. It's a bad one. Uh, right. But it's a unique little kind of uh, you know situation. I'm glad you laughed because not everybody does. So we're good. So at 14, eight years later, uh, I was finally adopted and it started off a different trajectory for my life. It was the first time in my life that I knew the pillow I woke up on was a pillow I'd go to sleep at night. You've done some amazing things since then, including making quite an impression in the personal development space. Could you share how that came about and how you found this world? Uh, you know, I think that it's one of those things where it found me like in a weird way, you know, I came out of the NFL and the hard part is I didn't know who Anthony trucks was without football. And it's a weird thing is when you lose this thing, that's been so much a part of your life. Like since I was, you know, 14 years old and now I'm coming out, you know, 25, it's a long time. Like it was like 26, it was like 12 years of my life. And that, that was the, the formative years of, of my, my identity. And so I came out and I was struggling there. I had to find this thing that would give me a sense of, of power and strength like I had before, but it's hard to find when you're used to be on national television and everyone wants your signature because you can't find that again. And so I, I, I said, you know, I'm going to come home and I'm going to open a gym. So I opened this gym and I ran this gym and it was up and down, man. Within, I think the first nine months, I was looking at being evicted and possibly going bankrupt and just things were not going well. I, I had neglected my family while trying to build this thing for 
for them and for me, but I think mostly at that time for me. And it just, I got to the point where now, you know, my wife, um, you know, come to find out she was, she was sleeping with other man. Like I should have an affair. I, I'm in a, the process of losing my family. My business is doing poorly. Like I literally was like served with papers. My health is, is deteriorating because I'm just not look, like working out like I used to. So I just remember just having these feelings of like, I don't want this life. If this is what life is, I don't want this thing, man. If this isn't, I, you know, I've done all these things I've done. What's the up from here? And that's a feeling like what, what, what I've already gotten so high. If this is what I got to deal with. Yeah. What, what do I do now? Yeah. And so uh, I drove off one night and I said, I sent a text message to some friends and family said, please tell my children who their father was. And I was, I was off. Um, you know, thankfully it was late enough at night where none of the stores were open that would have sold the rat poison I was looking for. The, I just parked my car and kind of just waited. Uh, I don't even know what I was waiting for, but GPS on my phone allowed the police to find me. And, you know, I was still just sitting there hanging out. And it was kind of one of those moments where I was like, okay, this is this Anthony, you can't do this. Like moment of weakness. It's over. You know, I had a conversation with those guys. They sent me back to my house and I just remember going home and, and be in this really dark hole. And I had a, a, a buddy of mine who was a teammate in high school come up to me and he says, Hey, man, when I found out that you were, you were lost and we could find you, it's like, I, I physically threw up. It's like, I thought I lost a hero. And for me, it was one of these odd things because <clears throat> I'd never in my life, like looked at me being a hero for other people. Like, what are you talking about? I'm just Anthony played football. And I was like, no, man, everybody, we know what you went through. We know which, what life you've lived. Like we've seen, we've seen you climb. We've been there since you were, you know, in high school. He's like, dude, like, you don't realize like you are an inspiration to people just in how you live your life. I was like, man, I never thought of it that way. Like legitimately never did. And it planted a seed that was something that I, I realized, like I, if I was on accident helping people, what if I tried to on purpose? And I realized that if I was going to help people, I had to know how to help myself first. And so that kind of started this journey towards trying to fix things, trying to fix the marriage, which actually did fall apart, trying to fix me. And like, and none of it really for a lot of years was, was making progress. I did get divorced. I, you know, I had to move into a 500 square foot studio and had my three kids and, you know, they're sleeping on an air mattress next to my bed. It, it was just like, it was this horrible situation. I had to find ways to climb out of it. At one point I had to borrow $5,000 from my ex-wife to be able to pay rent for my business and for my house just to get by for the month. And it was like that rock bottom, like, this is not, this isn't okay. This is not the life that I want to live compared to what I was living. And I, I looked in the mirror and it was like one of those like, aunt dude, figure this out moments. And so I, I kind of tucked away and I started getting real good at, at being alone. And I think for me, it's one of the things most people don't do. We do a good job of distraction. We'll, you know, drink, we'll, you know, we'll go eat ourselves like crazy. We'll watch movies, we'll hang out with friends, we'll go to the bar, we'll, we'll have sex, we'll do all these different things that really pull you away from the pain of, of being with yourself. And so I get really good at turning everything off and staring at walls and having to get really, really comfortable with the guy that I wasn't comfortable with. And it led me to start, you know, questioning things about myself. It led me to start reading books, watching videos, and like kind of get, getting more clear on how I operate. Like, how did I get here? Because if I wasn't aware of, of what was programming or how I was programmed to get here, I was going to continue to keep coming here. And so it was, it was the major thing for me to learn. And so in doing so, what allowed me to do was, was step back and, and take ownership of a lot of things in my life that I didn't really want to, which was you know, my part in my wife's desire to have an affair, um, my part in the business failing, my part in my health, my part in not being a great dad, like my part. And, and in doing so, it gave me a sense of like, you, you first you get a sense of regret and anger at yourself for it, but then it's followed up with a sense of power, knowing that you're not helpless and that you actually can make a change for a better thing. And so I did, I started changing and operating and, and adjusting how I saw things, how I communicated what I, what I did in my life. And 
And from there, it allowed me to be able to be a speaker and a coach and talk. And more so, um, three years after a divorce, I got my family back together and my wife and I are now back together, married. We have our three kids. Life is incredible. It's better than I ever could have imagined, but it's not better because I came back in the same relationship. It's better because we both came back different people. She's different. I'm different in a positive way. And, and she did her own, her own journey of development of personal development and growth. And so when we come back to this now, most people when they leave something like a relationship that we you know had since high school, you want that, whatever that is, but that is what broke us. And so what we have now is new, but way better. Well, it takes a lot of courage to talk about that and, and to share that. And I appreciate that. I'm curious though, what are the nitty gritty brass tack things that you did to get the help that you needed? Well, first thing you do is you, you ask people questions. You say, what, what books would you read? Like, what are some good books? Like you just ask the question people will give you information. One of the first books I was given was one that um, helped me master because I'm a guy and I have a logical brain. Uh, that's just how I'm built. But at the same time, the spiritual side of me. So one of the books I started with was um, Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yep. And it gave me a chance to kind of unpack how I think, how I interact, how I communicate. And that was like this thing where the first parts were like, okay, read this and try this. Like the first book was seek first, understand, then be understood was one of the first I applied. So I would talk to people. I try to find out what in the world they're, they're, you're talking about. Like, as opposed to just talking so much, let me ask a question and listen and then figure out like, Oh, okay. That makes sense. So what you're saying is, and just repeat it back to them. Yeah. Okay. Then what about, and then you say something and they listen to you. I was like, holy crap, like this stuff actually works. <laughs> so, yeah. so there's, you know, I just started, so I started doing that, just like really taking into action everything that was going on. A lot of it also boils down to my time. I think most people don't grasp that, that you can't like, um, you can't read a book and automatically like, you know, snap your brain to feel a different way or think a different way or process different. It doesn't work that way. The actual yeah. only thing in your life that will make any adjustment is how you allocate your time towards activities, period. Mm-hmm. And most people are horrible with their time horrible with activities. And so what ends up happening is they read books and they go back to do the exact same things they did and wonder why they're in the exact same space. So for me, I started allocating time differently. I would allocate time to exercise, to write, to sit alone, to read. And it's those little moments of time where I would actually get to a moment where for me, I'd realize like, man, this is something I'm avoiding. I would go do that thing that I was avoiding. Anthony, I've, uh, I've been following you for a while. Um, and I've, I've noticed that you've started this newer brand or this newer concept yeah. and messaging that you put out by the, sh- uh, you talk about the shift. Yeah. Can you explain uh, f- to folks, what do, you, what do you mean by the shift? Yeah, the shift, man, the shift is, uh, it's everything I just talked about. And then some, so what nobody really unpacked, or I didn't really unpack is the aspect of all through these, these different levels of my life. And we all have these same experiences is every part of your life demands a new you. Anybody that's ever said that I have to, I have to get better. I want to improve. I want to grow, whatever it is. Everybody doesn't know, but you're truly talking about your identity, who you see yourself to be. And the best way to explain it's kind of like your identity has been unintentionally programmed your entire life through a bunch of off shift moments. Off shift, this is awesome. Off shift, this sucks. What now? And so in those moments, how you handle those determines who you are because you start putting effort and energy into a direction and that effort and energy builds something and it builds our identity, which is our autopilot for how we operate every day. So, you know, whether you run from a situation, you, you run into a situation, like that's who you are and it happens on autopilot and it allows us to craft our lives. And so when I say shift, it's about what's called make an identity shift. So if we desire to have more, be more, do more, 
if you think about when people talk about mindset and habits, it's really hard to, to force yourself to ingrain new habits and a new mindset. Like it's difficult. Like I got to think this way and do this way and whatever it is. It's like, uh, after a while we burn out. And yeah. so what ends up happening is, is if we're able to literally shift to a new identity, if you think about like, um, someone who just says I'm a, I'm a great mom. Well, if I'm not a, a mom and I just look at a mom and I look at her actions, like she'll get up in the morning and take the kids to school and she'll feed them and she'll wipe butts and, and wipe boogers with her hands. Why did she do that? I don't know. Like <laughs> they, they do these things and you're like, how do you do that? She's like, Oh, my mom. Right. It's almost like, it's like, it's a, you can literally see the ease and the autopilot of what she does without thinking. Yeah. And so yeah. that, that kind of, that kind of flow for us as humans exists everywhere. And so my thought is like, well, if you want to be smarter or stronger or more confident, whatever it is, you have to invest the actions over time in an autopilot kind of flow. So it doesn't drain your energy. And if you can do that, you naturally shift to a point where your mindset and habits, they just change because it's just who you are now. And so I kind of take it back to this metaphor of like a, a, a car with a stick shift. If you're in first gear and you hit the gas, you're going to accelerate to a certain point. And after that acceleration point, you can't go any faster. You can press the gas, but it's going to jerk the car, which is really difficult. And you find you're tacked out and it's called redlining, right? The engine revs up to the red line. You burn through gas. The engine's either going to explode or you're going to run out of gas. And in life, that exact same thing occurs when we feel like we've given everything we can, but we just can't go any faster. And we're going to explode from frustration and we're running out of energy and, and motivation and gas. But in a car, if you shift the gear, the engine speed goes down, the gas consumption goes down, but the car accelerates. And in our life, that shift is an identity shift where you shift that kind of autopilot flow and the energy goes down and the, and the energy, you know, the, the speed of the engine decreases, but you accelerate towards your goals. And so when I work in what I work in now, I didn't realize my entire life I was going through identity shifts and I just learned to navigate them well. And identity shifts really are like, how do I show up and know that this is just who I am? So the habits flow. Like the moment that I said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the greatest football player I can be. It was easy to go lift weights. It was easy to eat right. It was easy to, to, to run routes because it's who it's what that identity does. And I didn't have yeah. to think about it. I wanted to do that work. And it turned into something when I wanted to be a, a great dad. That's what I did. I, I was no longer this, this football player that had a kid. I was a dad that played football. And so as a dad, I would be up till six in the morning, go to class at seven. I'd be back after lunch. Like I had this crazy college schedule with a kid, but that's what a dad does who plays football, right? It's just, it becomes a flow. And so the work I do now is getting people to one, get clear in the concept of what's really in their way. Cause the problem nowadays is a lot of people have a bunch of information, a bunch of dreams, a bunch of goals, a bunch of books, a bunch of seminars, a bunch of courses, you name it. And they're all like, I got all this stuff. Why is nothing happening? Well, at the end of the day, you can have all the tools you want, but if you aren't the right technician to wield those tools, you'll never succeed with them. And so the work I do now is teaching people how to be the right technician, the right, the right individual who wields those tools correctly pretty much an autopilot. So they flow into it and it's just who they are. And when you do that, it becomes smooth. Like my clients, like I see phenomenal results from stuff they already know because I'm teaching them how to go through a shift process that makes their life happen on autopilot. But the results come from that. I want to dig down into that just a little bit. And that's, that's a fantastic explanation of identity and, and how it shifts. And there are a couple of questions I have about it. Yeah. One is, uh, you said it's like the car and you, you shift in the car and it goes to the next, you know, I, I know nothing about cars, but I know that it, okay. it, 
the, the things happen and the car accelerates. Yeah. Do you think that the identity shifts are that immediate or do you think that these are progressive that we can only really see them in retrospect or do you think that we can see it coming and intentionally shift gear? How do, how do you see that playing out or is it different for everybody? It's not immediate. I mean, it's very, it's difficult for it to be immediate, but sometimes it can be immediate when you have something happen that's abrupt, right? If all of a sudden I, you know, I lose, you know, the control of my limbs, now I'm paralyzed. Or if all of a sudden I have a child, now I'm a dad. You know, there's yeah, things that can happen immediate. Yeah. And not everybody flows into it, but if done right, you can, you can merge into that because sometimes we just need an excuse to make a change. I hate yeah. that we have to have those people, but sometimes people just need an excuse to then have this reason as to why they made a massive change. On the flip side, you can have these proactive directional moves in your life. And the way it happens is we are humans based on what's called investment bias. The more we put into something, the more we want to return. So if I put a bunch of money in somewhere, I want to return, right? That's why I gave you money. And for us, the other portion of value we can put into something besides money is time. And when we've invested a bunch of time into something, again, we want that return. So if you've been in a relationship for 10 years, Part of us, like, we'll never leave the relationship sometimes because well, I've been in it for 10 years. I don't want 10 years mm-hmm. to be for nothing. So I'm going to stick around, right. right? Or I've been in this job for 30 years, you know? And so what happens is that same mindset can be applied positively. And it happens through what's called micro actions. So if somebody's like, I want to be a phenomenal speaker. Well, it's hard to be a phenomenal speaker if you only gaze out on whether or not you get on a stage all of a sudden and kill it. Because there's a lot yeah. that goes into getting up there. But the micro actions behind the scene will give us the ability to eventually get there. So it means like for me, I was like, I got to get better at speaking and and not stumbling over words when I talk. So I'm going to do a video a day, every day. And I did it for 3,333 straight days. And in doing so, when I stepped out of that, I was like, I could talk on anything. You could, you could put me and the most odd item in the world in a room. And I will tell you a phenomenal life story, 90 seconds off of that item. And that's just what it would be. Right. And so, but I can own that because of the time put in 90 seconds a day. And now I get booked to speak on stages for between like, you know, 16 and $25,000 a speech. So now I get to say, I'm going to be a, I'm a phenomenal speaker. I do this well. And so the thing is, is if you want to intentionally do it, it's a matter of, of you, the shift takes place through the micro actions. So it's, it's a duality. It's knowing that I'm proactively desiring to make this shift to a new direction, which I feel uncomfortable in and figure out the micro actions I must take over time to get there. And over time you slowly merge into it. So you do like, pretty much one day you'll pop up, you'll feel it coming, but you'll pop up and be like, man, I'm actually the best chair whittler in the world. Like I started out with just whittling one chair in my free time. And then after like 50 chairs, I felt pretty good. 20,000 chairs later, nobody could touch my chair whittling skills, right? And little yeah. by little, you, you learn along the journey and, and, and staying in that seat, like in sticking in the cockpit for longer. That's how you get to the point of saying, I'm a great driver of my life or I'm, I'm a great chair whittler. It's all through the micro actions that you choose to do that keep you in line to where you have that investment bias of the return being, this is my new identity. So we are made up basically, I would, and correct me if you think I'm off base, but I think that when you get to a certain age in adulthood, you've got a collection of identities that you've had over the years. I mean, you, yeah. you did your intro, right? You've been the, or you are the American Ninja Warrior, the football player, the dad, like these are collecting. But I think some of, some of those are good identities, but some of those are kind of shitty identities too, that we wish yeah. that weren't a part of our past. So those identities that continue to haunt us mm. uh, as we seek out new identities, 
do you have times in your life when you think, you know, I'm, I'm probably behaving and saying and doing things today that is really that 14 year old Anthony who is scared and who is angry. Do you recognize that kid showing up today? And how do you recognize it? And what do you do when you, when you see him show up? Yeah. And so I I referenced earlier, it's kind of like computer programming. Like there's this TV show called Westworld. I love the show. Yeah. You know, it's like these, these yeah, computer robots, right? And these robots, they, they're all the same template robot. The only difference is the programming. If you put this new program in, then it operates differently. It'll be, you know, the, the winch, it'll be the seamstress, it'll be the cowboy, it'll be the bartender. The only difference is the program, which is their identity. And what's unique about the show is they also have the remnants that come in, like these weird memories that pop out of nowhere, right? And they're like, well, I don't remember that, but it took place when they're dreaming. And so I look at it kind of the same for us in life. Like I have this program that I am operating on now. This is this identity that I operate on now. But there are moments that pull those remnants back out of the way that I may interact with my kids because, you know, one of my kids has ADHD and love the death of the kids, a crazy ball of fire. And I go back to Mike days as a kid when I had it, because I did, and I would always get in trouble. So I don't want him to get in trouble like I did. So I see myself getting angry at him that I probably should. And it's like, oh, I got to pull back and like, okay, I need to give him patience and grace. So like, that's one of the remnants. So I think what takes place is in the moments of when it arises, you have to be able as a human to drop your ego and say, look, I'm, I'm not being the greatest me right now. And it really is that conversation inside, like, dude, are you serious? And chill out. Like I have to actually do that. And in doing so, that's the hardest thing that most people are very, like they're not uh, very accustomed to doing. We're not used to, you know, giving ourselves guidance. We'll, we'll knock ourselves down. We'll tell ourselves, yeah, that's easy, easy, right? But when it comes to like, to the way we operate with our actions, having to own up to something, people suck at that. Like I, it's amazing how many people, I got family members right now and it's like a true family situation who are six years deep into doing some really horrible stuff to our family. We just found out and they, this day can't own up to it. And it's sad, but it Mm -hmm. gave me this moment of like, man, if I could teach them, this could be a way better situation. But most people, they, they won't admit a situation. They'll run it into the ground to protect what they believe is their current identity while not realizing they're damaging their current identity because they're not, they're not just owning up to something that exists for all of us, which is things happen. We're not perfect. You know, issues arise but handle your issues in that moment. If not, they become a cancer that spreads to the rest of your life and the rest of that current identity. And in fact, the identity I have, if I let these other parts of my life seep in, it would ruin what I've already just built. It would just take, it would take parts of it away. So don't let your past ruin your current because you're not willing to address the past. Anthony, I want to talk to you about uh, race, if that's okay. Yeah. Okay. So... I've seen you give your talk and I, I've been in the audience and you're a phenomenal speaker. Thank and you. by the way, the first, the first time I saw you, you were good. Uh, the second time I saw you, you were exceptional. Um, Thank just, you. your, your path has been incredible. So congratulations. Appreciate it. So you've, you have built up, um, you're building up this business for yourself. And I saw a picture of you when you were with, um, what I think you and I would consider mega influencers in the personal development and marketing space and you were guys were mm-hmm. all on a fishing trip. Mm-hmm. And if I remember correctly, you were the only person of color in that picture. Might have been one. I think, I think Trent's also in it. Trent Shelton's out there okay. also. I Trent think. Shel- okay. So, but a disproportionate number of yeah. people. Of, it's hard to of find us. Yeah. So it reminded me though, of the picture that you also show in that presentation where you talk about growing up, um, you know, a black kid in a white family. And mm-hmm. again, you're like the one that sticks out. 
So I wanted to talk to you about that and just kind of get an understanding because we're talking about identity and Mm -hmm. clearly your race is not something that can change, right? The color of your skin can't change. That's that's just a part of who you are. Yeah. When you show up or when you deliver your message, do you think that that should show up in your message? Do you feel, and I'm going to ask like a series of questions and just pick up on anything. Mm -hmm. Do you feel a sense of responsibility or a sense of obligation to address the issues that impact people of color when you're talking to a large group of people? How much has being black shown up for you Mm -hmm. in your work? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's showing up everywhere. It's something that you can't, you can't dispel. I'm aware of it, right? I'm aware of the certain, I'm aware of the certain ways that I am seen in the work that I do that not everybody sees, right? So I work also with business owners to help them do what I do. And I don't have, in my mind, I don't have the typical face of the online business coach, right? Or the online anything. Right. I think right. societally, there is this aspect of most of the people in my culture who would do any kind of personal, bum, we'll call it, it happens in a church. That's what everybody's used to. You know, they're used to this guy, yeah. this big black guy speaking. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm a man of faith as well. And I go to church. It's just, that wasn't the path that I think uh, that in my God had for me. And there is this, this complete, um, you know, separation between, you know, most people under, like seeing a big picture of a bunch of um, black males or women, you know, females that are speaking and coaching and teaching. And then like, there's a lot of the white males or even in this. And so you ask the question of, is it disproportionate? I believe it is. And I think there's a, a couple reasons behind that. I think one of the reasons is um, the, the focus for my culture is typically to go past the point that I'm at. And, and if you can't go past this point, then you can't go anywhere. What I mean by that is it's always this, this picture I see of to become uh, a basketball player, a football player, a rapper. And the young kids aren't, aren't looking at people, nor their parents are to look at people that are level between like a dentist or a doctor or, you know, a speaker or, or anything. It's always a level past, maybe a lawyer or a doctor, some aspects, but not enough. Uh, and I think that the way that, that I address my culture is a way that most people don't see, but I'm actively always working on. And so what that is, is I get a lot of questions and a lot of requests from people to, to speak more about the black culture, about the society, about the wrongdoings. And believe me, I see them. I just watched that documentary on Netflix called When They See Us. And it's like, man, this really does happen. And I, I, I've been pulled over many times. I've been called a bunch of names many times. It's happened in my life, you know. But the way I look at it is, is twofold. One is if I was to fire up and get angry and get mad, I'd tuck myself in with the rest of the people um, that do that. And then we're in a bunch. Everybody says, I'll look at those, you know guys over there just talking the yell and they're always angry because that's what's seen. And sadly, that's how the media portrays us. The other yeah. side is if I was to be the guy on stage, the events that I've spoke at saying like a lot of racial stuff, I'd make everybody in the crowd uncomfortable. I'd make the promoter uncomfortable. I would not be asked to come back. <laughs> like it would just be like, he's being weird guys. Like, oh, and they'll find a way to, to pull away. So what I noticed is I've been in a bunch of boardrooms with a bunch of, you know, older white men, you know, 25, 30 years older than me with beards and, you know, just hanging out and they're doing their thing. I've been with a bunch of bikers who don't look like me. I've been in a bunch of audiences with a bunch of women that aren't my color. And what I do is I make what you just saw possible. You just stated, I noticed that you weren't looking. I noticed you didn't look like them. Well, what if I wasn't doing what I do the way I do it? You would notice nobody, almost nobody like me. And so the way that I make it very clear that the things are possible is by doing them. And I think that that there's a lot of people that their job and their role needs to be to advocate and they do that. And I'm all for it. 
But at the same time, there needs to be a person who just walks the walk without having to talk about it. And so I'm a guy that just walks the walk. I do the work. I'm aware the world is set up against me. The way it's designed from, you know, the, the police departments down to the government, like things have been systematically done to make it difficult for me. And to the state, there's places that I can definitely feel that I'm not welcome. But at the same time, it doesn't hinder my desire to keep pushing. It doesn't make me not live my life how I live. It doesn't make me not teach my kids certain things they got to learn about life. But what it does, it lets me know, hey, I'm in the game. Like I'm in the game. It may be harder for my, me to win. I might not have the same car as the person racing next to me, but I'm in this race. And if I can learn to drive the car faster or better or fine tune the engine, if I lose for me, if I learn to be smarter, more proactive, more outgoing, if I stay the course, I learn the same stuff and apply it better, I can win the race still. And so I'm in a race that I'm aware I'm in. Most people don't think I'm aware I'm in it, but I'm highly aware that I'm in it. And my goal is not to complain about the way the game is being played. Because if you sit down with someone to play Monopoly, are you going to complain about the rules the whole time? No, it gets annoying. It's like, dude, quit complaining about the rules. So I'm going to try to play the game better. I'm going to try to talk you into giving me the, you know, boardwalk. I'm going to try to roll the dice a certain way. I'm going to try to play this game better because that's how I can win. It's it. I can't force the people above me to do something that they are not going to be forced to do, but I can grind and work to get at the same table at some point in time. And then while doing so, I'm not discounting or separating myself from my culture. I'm saying, look, I carved this path. Follow the lessons. Do some of the same stuff in your own way. Look, it worked. It can work, but it's not going to work if you continue to keep playing the victim. And if you continue to keep trying to fight the rules that exist, like there are some that yes, need to be changed. Don't get me wrong. But some of them like, I mean, we have a faceless society. People can't really put a finger to the guys and girls who are the top 1%, but they run the world. So are you going to sit here and you think standing outside of the courthouse every day, all, all day, every day, there's times when it's necessary. But I don't think every day, all day is really going to make the change that I think we could. The change is going to come from education and execution. Learn something, apply it, and become like become a weapon. Like you got to become a weapon in this world in a sense of like tactically executing on your dreams and your goals past the point of the people who are not giving you the opportunity to do so. And they're probably going to try to knock you down along the way. They have to try. It doesn't mean they have to actually do it. That's the end of today's podcast. Thank you again for listening, subscribing, and leaving a rating. You can learn more about Anthony and his work by visiting chadpv.com forward slash Anthony Trucks. Trucks is spelled just like it sounds, T-R-U-C-K-S. I'm wishing you all the best, and until next time, this is Chad Peavy.